Happy New Year, everyone. It's Britt Stone, the Petite Polymath. Today, I, I'm in the midst of some books that I haven't yet finished, so I decided instead to do a little quick recap of a couple of TV series that I have watched in the last week or so. Stay tuned. Well, I tell ya, 2023. Um, today's Thursday, and on my way into work on Thursdays, I usually look for the Spotify Throwback Thursday playlist to see what kind of playlist they've compiled. Today, it was all the songs that were kind of popular a decade ago, which includes some of the following. Miley Cyrus's Wrecking Ball, Drake's Hold On, You're Going Home, um, there was another that I'm blanking on the name of the group, but it's, you know, the I Love It song, the I Don't Care, I Love It. Uh, oh, the Neighborhood's Sweater Weather. So uh, it was quite the walk down memory lane on my way into work this morning. Anyway, I was on my personal Instagram account uh, and I waxed a bit philosophical about um, the TV series on Hulu, Fleischman's in Trouble. My friend Edna sent me a message and said, you should talk about this on your podcast. And I thought, you know what, maybe I will. And then I kind of returned to the last two seasons of Atlanta last night. My brother is visiting and we watched um, a few episodes and I was like, oh gosh, okay, I got to do this episode. So Fleischman's in Trouble, number one. It is based on a book um, by a woman whose first name is Taffy. I'm blanking on her last name right now. I don't like looking it up, so I'm not going to. But the general you know, theme of the show, or kind of what the story is about. It is about a, dare I say, upper middle class Jewish family in Manhattan who are going through a bit of a crisis. Uh, the husband is a hepatologist. For those of you not in the medical world, this is a liver specialist. Uh, he mostly manages patients that are in liver failure, from whatever reason that might be who also helps take care of them as they wait to get a liver on the liver transplant list. And sometimes that goes pretty well, other times not so much. Um, he is a kind soul, and I apologize right now if you happen to hear the sirens in the background. Um, and he is married uh, to a woman named Rachel, and uh, Rachel is a PR executive, she, um, as you kind of watch the series, I think there's eight episodes, so it's a pretty quick watch if you wanted. Um, she kind of manages uh, actors and screenwriters and all the people that do, you know, theater. That's her niche. She comes from nothing, um, a very kind of dysfunctional, broken family, and the Dr. Fleischman in this story comes from a pretty loving you know, functional as much as anyone's is, Jewish home. They marry, they have two children, and they should be living the Upper East Side life, but things start to crack. And it really is the story of what happens when you think you've done all the things that you can do, 
to like have your life go a certain way and then it starts to fall apart. Um, not really spoiling it. Uh, Dr. Fleischman is pretty much left by his wife. Um, ultimately, you know, they, they realize that they're really not happy anymore and, and how that happened is unclear. And they have gotten a divorce. Um, and their two kids are managing the, you know, this two-house situation. And on a weekend where um, Rachel is supposed to come and get the kids, she just never shows up. And so then he's left floundering as a physician, right? Trying to figure out how to juggle um, the children, his job, and this like increasingly interesting personal life that he's developed since now for the first time in like, you know, maybe 20 something years, he's got a date again. Uh, and this, of course, is a whole new world because if you were 41 in 2016 um, and you were just divorced, it means that you have no concept of what it means to date the way people date today. All the apps and the online phenomenon and all that sort of thing. Uh, the, there's a very well-known cast in, in the show, which is really enjoyable. Jesse Eisenberg, um, Adam Brody, um, Claire Danes. Um, oh, goodness. I'm blanking on the, on the woman's name. But she um, was also in Mean Girls. She's like the friend of Lindsay Lohan in Mean Girls, the brunette. Does an excellent job. And is often the narrator of the show. Because Dr. Fleischman also has two friends that he met, it looks like maybe on a birthright trip to Israel. And they've each kind of gone their separate ways, although they all live in New York City. Um, but uh, they reconnect in the wake of his divorce. And it's just a very... Uh, it's kind of heartwarming, honestly. The um, the reflection on what it means to get older, um, the reflection on what kind of life you want to have. I, I turned 40 this year, and I've never been married, and I don't have children. Um, the show it deals with things like people who are married or people who are parents or people who are both making people who are childless and single feel not as adult, um, that our time isn't as valuable, that we haven't grown up, right? Um, people who are divorced often feel like maybe they're failures by people who are married, whether that's happily or not. And people who are married uh, sometimes are envious of those who quote unquote seem to have more freedom and can do what they want. People who are parents love their kids, but they're also kind of resentful of how their kids suck all the air out of the room. And I, I think they do a really good job of, of showing how you can get what you want um, and then maybe who you are or what you want changes. There's a really good line where um, one of the friends, uh, Libby, who is the narrator, talks about the sense of longing that you have when you're young and how it seems that maybe um, she misses the desire, like the, the want more than having the thing and how maybe that is more fulfilling to her than having the thing met. 
maybe that's the difference a lot of times between what it means to be young and what it means to be older is that many times you get the thing you've been striving for and so then what's next so there's this idea of a lot a lot about boredom um and about disillusionment also you know the gender dynamics of what it's like to have a high earning wife and um and how that can be um difficult for men uh, but I think a lot of times probably contingent on the woman and the man you know in question right like is the woman a jerk about it and does she emasculate her husband at every turn because a lot of these behaviors that that women who make more money than their husbands or partners might have might be the sort of behaviors that we expect for men to have towards women and I don't think either one of those is correct you know there should be a, a mutual respect um, regardless of gender if someone's making more money than the other, um, that doesn't mean that if you're at home taking care of the children or running the house and like the life, that that is less valuable. It should be considered what makes your life easy to run, right? And there should be a gratitude associated, not, not a disdain or a condescension. I felt some type of way because Claire Dane's character, which is the wife, um, I mean, you know, she works in the, in the entertainment industry um, her husband's a doctor who deals with people dying every day, and she's so disrespectful of his job. And, and I just found that infuriating um, as a doctor. I wanted to be like, do you have any idea what he deals with every day? Your job isn't really even that important. Like, that's Im- immediately what I want to think. Like, of course, everyone needs a job, and, and, and people have value in their, in their jobs, you know. But... When you, when you sit with people on the worst day of their life, day in and day out, and you face death day in and day out, like, don't come talk to me about how my job doesn't have importance or value. Um, yeah. And I don't know why right now I cannot remember um, Dr. Fleischman's first name. Apparently it's just, it's gone right now, and I, I'm not going to look it up, so we're just going to go with Dr. Fleischman. What I love about him is that he's not motivated by money, which is good because in this current medical climate, uh, he wouldn't make much, especially as a hepatologist. Uh, he says that his, his job is its own reward. He clearly loves teaching. He spends a lot of time with his patients. Um, he could have a better backbone. This is something that is a judgment call on him, and, and Eisenberg plays him so well because he's also infuriating in his own way, even though he is a bit of a victim. But he's a bit of a victim because he also allows himself to be one at times, and then he can be really cruel, and that's not fair. And he can be so self-involved that he doesn't see the ways in which he also has wounded his wife, which then causes her to act out in ways. And not to spoil, because you should really watch the show, and I'm going to have to read the book now because I didn't know it was a book, but she has a trauma beyond just her familial childhood stuff, which... I think is an abandonment wound and feeds into the, how she moves through space and interacts with everybody else from that point forward, you know, how she wants to be accepted by her peers and wants friends and how she sees money as security and, you know, how she feels like this person that she has chosen to marry should never leave her no matter how horribly she treats them or how much she neglects him. Right. Um, But something traumatic happens to her and I think this is also a really, a really poignant 
portrayal of mental health, of postpartum psychosis, of postpartum depression, the, um, the difficulties that often women have to bond with their children, the traumas around birth, and some of the um, misbehaviors of physicians, OBGYNs in particular, around labor and delivery um, that are things that we need to really talk about. And when you hear her perspective, someone that you have demonized, you, you can't help but have such compassion for. And that's the beauty of storytelling and the importance of, of in our own lives, looking to understand both sides of a story. Um, I think they did this so well. And it's interesting because it's actually tethered to two um, real-life things. So this week, I don't keep up with the NFL for a host of reasons. Uh, but I know there was a, um, a young player who had a blunt force trauma to the heart, had commodus cordis, which is where the heart gets stunned, goes into an abnormal heart rhythm, and stops. And you can die from this if CPR isn't done immediately. Um, his CPR was done immediately by the excellent EMS um, on the field. But there was all this guffaw about whether to cancel a game, which should have been a no-brainer for anybody who's not a monster and isn't greedy. Um, because everyone was in shock watching this happen in real time on the field. And nobody wanted to play the game anymore, understandably. Thank you, coaches, who were like, we're not playing. And uh, fie upon you, who are more concerned about your money than about a human being's health and well-being. Um, but everybody was stunned. And like nobody could do their normal life. And at that moment, I, I had a flashback to when I was an intern. And I declared my first patient dead. And I then had to leave that room and see the other 15 patients that I had and present on them and put orders in and talk to their families and address them like nothing had happened. And then like drive home and take a shower and try to go to bed to get up and do it the next day. And it just struck me that like I'm not any different than anybody who was in that, on those stands watching that game or, you know, um, the players who witnessed what happened. And I think that we really need to hold space and remember that we are all human. And like your doctor, your EMS worker, your nurse, um, your paramedic is not a robot. Uh, yeah. They're a human being with feelings and emotions. And when we do hard work, it's hard to like turn that off and go to the next thing. And if we don't take space, it never, we never really process what we see and deal with. And there are many of us with years of this under our belt that's been un, um, unprocessed. So, also, uh, the point about Rachel Fleischman being a disaster to this person who she vowed to never leave and, and who she said, you know, promised he'd never leave her. Amanda Seals, um, comedian, actress, was on a podcast or a TikTok or something and said really beautifully this concept that, like, people feel that in their relationships they can be their truest self, bring all of themselves to the table and just be real with their partner without thinking through the fact that, like, all parts of ourselves aren't beautiful. Some of it's messy. Some of it's ugly, Right. And just being you isn't sufficient. We should be striving to be better people in relationships and not wound the people closest to us. And like nobody deserves to deal with your messy, horrible behavior that you have like not reflected upon and they're not working on changing. 
because nobody deserves that. And that's not love. Love is striving to be better, to love other people well, and to be loved, warts and all, but to not like wallow in the grossness of the worst parts of yourself and just say the person who loves me is supposed to want to be a part of that. We don't sign up for that. That's abuse. That's cruel. And she actually jokingly says, you know, the only person who loves you unconditionally like that is your mom. Um, And I think that that is a very important part about relationships. So, um, highly recommend Fleischman's in Trouble. On the other end, um, and I don't have my earbuds in today, so I'm like, I'm getting a cramp in my hand. See how this works. Okay. Uh, Atlanta, as I'm rapidly um, running out of time. Uh, I love Donald Glover. I'm also sad about Donald Glover because I feel like he doesn't really like black girls, probably because they were mean to him in high school or junior high. And I get it because I had my own feelings um, about black people as a black person uh, because of how I got treated in high school. It got better when I left home and realized that, you know, you can't treat a whole group by just your bad experience. Um, so that, that's a whole nother conversation for another time. But there's a whole TikTok lane about this and about getting treated badly as a black kid if you don't fit some, like, stereotype. Um, but anyway, so he writes Atlanta, four seasons, and it's this very kind of, like, Twin Peaks sort of thing. It's super smart. Uh, it's really great on social commentary. The last two, well, the third season is set in Europe because Paperboy, which is the cousin of this guy, Ernest. Ernest um, is this smart kid who goes to Princeton um, from Atlanta. Um, His cousin, Paperboy, um, is a rap artist. Ernest is a hustler. He didn't didn't finish college, and he ended up getting, like, his good friend that I guess he hooked up with pregnant, so he has a kid um, with her that he's trying to raise, and he's trying to, like, hustle to make money. Um, Paperboy, his cousin, is, like, hitting it big with his music. And so Ernest, or Earn, as he's known, uh, is his manager. And then they have this friend Darius, um, played by Lakeith Stanfield, who is just (laughs) brilliant. He's always high, and he's incredibly, like, insightful and always says the most profound things. And then Van, who is the girlfriend, or on-and-off-again friend, baby mama of Earn. So they start off in Amsterdam, and they make their way through um, Amsterdam, London. Um, I think they're still in London right now. But there were a couple of episodes that really struck me. So one of them was when they were at this house of this wealthy European dude who has a Nando's. For those of you who've traveled in the UK and know about the Portuguese piri-piri chicken, which is boss. That's the Nando's chain. I think there's also a Nando's in Chicago and maybe a couple other places in the States. But he has a Nando's in his own home. And he's built his house around this tree. And um, he loves the sound of his own voice. And it is this awesome episode on the performance of White Guilt. Um, and it is... It's like a chef's kiss. Like I'd ri- I highly recommend you watch it. I don't want to ruin it for you. But the next episode... Well, actually, two episodes after this, there is a, and they can kind of stand alone to some, to some degree, an episode of a white dude who works in, like, just your typical office job, um, and in a cubicle. He, he's about to go through a divorce, 
And something's happened in like the culture where you can sue white people if they've had uh, ancestors who owned slaves, if you are like a descendant of a slave. And you could pretty much like take everything from them. Which my brother and I are looking at each other like, this would be wild if this happened today because, you know, not everybody like lands like, I don't know, a Vanderbilt or something. Not everybody has that sort of money where the, like even if the money was, was founded or, or accumulated um, in these very kind of seedy, gross ways, it's not like maybe the descendants now still even have that sort of cash, right? Um, but just how, what it looks like where people are coming at you for retribution and, and how it completely turns your life upside down. And it's an inconvenience, and, it's, and it's, it's stressful for these white people. But then also you're thinking to yourselves, like, well, you know, like 400 years ago. Um, imagine what chattel slavery felt like for people. Like, that's a whole other thing, right? But the, the episode that really did it for me was um, Darius. Uh, oh, they are in, are they still in London? Or are they in Italy at this point? I don't really know where they are. There's a fashion house. The fashion house has done something extremely tacky from a race relation standpoint. And they get, as one black guy says, black people to apologize on their behalf. And it's like the social justice warriors are being skewered. Um, and so uh, Paperboy agrees, like, you know, he wants all these, all this like couture clothing in exchange for, you know, kind of absolving this, this white fashion company um, of their tone-deaf behavior. And so they're asking everybody what do they want to eat, and everyone's saying something very normal until they get to Darius, and he asks for jollof rice, which, like, the British chick doesn't know what that is. She asks what it is, and she, then she asks, is it from Ghana? She's looking it up online. And Darius is like, uh, no, it's Nigerian. So they go to this Nigerian restaurant, and the food is great, and this British white woman is, like, looking around, talking about how they can monetize it and I look at my brother he looks at me and we're just like oh no like she's gonna steal this idea and then she's gonna rip she's gonna like run with it and act like she's the one who discovered it like that's what's gonna happen that's exactly what happens she literally I mean because of her the place goes out of business and then she makes some like colonized version of jollof rice from like a food truck and everything within you starts screaming and you think this is actually what happens in the world. Like, this is what happens. Um, I don't even know what to say. But, you know, that whole episode is about appropriation and about chewing up people and stealing their ideas, acting like it's, it's yours, giving no money, giving no capital, giving no respect or deference to where you got the idea, and acting like it's just something that you discovered. Which, you know, there have been lots of talks about appropriation throughout the, the more recent past, and I know people who feel like it's not a real thing, although I would venture to say that if this happened to them, they'd probably feel differently. And, um, and I just felt like Atlanta did it such a good job with this theme. So if you're looking for a show to watch, I highly recommend either Flashman's in Trouble 
and or Atlanta. Flashman's in trouble. Well, they give you little warnings. There's there's a couple of of um of like sexually explicit epi- you know, things in the episode just so you can plan accordingly. Atlanta, there wasn't anything too crazy. Um at least in the episodes that I watched. I mean, besides, you know, swearing if that's something that bothers you. Uh I have now ranted for a long time, so I'm going to stop. Well, this has been an episode of the Petite Polymath, starting off the year 2023. Hope everyone has a great weekend.